one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, they were all yellow. We all live in a yellow submarine. Big yellow taxi took my girl away. I have a very jaundiced view of life. Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I'm Dr. Mike Todorovic. I'm joined by my friend, Dr. Matt Barton. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot. How are you, Matt? This day has been a long time coming. Yes. Referred to as your friend. Oh, I thought you meant because the topic's jaundice. Um, Yeah, look. So that's what the songs were about. Yellowing. Yellowing. Good. You got it. You got it. So uh, jaundice. Which is uh, a condition that causes you to go to yellow. Yes. Is it more than that? Um, Well, I've recently learned from you that it is. I thought that jaundice was simply the yellowing of your skin, mucous membranes and sclera of your eye. Uh, But you said that's not sufficient to be called jaundice. That's not. So you may eat a lot of pumpkins or... uh, they do Carrots. call me Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater. And if you did that, you potentially could have too much beta carotin. And that could make you Well, yellow. I don't know to what level, but yes, people can go yellow from absorbing too much of that. So what do you need to add into the definition to make jaundice jaundice? So you do need that yellowing, but you also need association with a high level of a mm, metabolite mm-hmm. called bilirubin. Nice. So that would mean it has to be high amounts in your blood. So hyperbilirubinemia. Emia meaning in the blood. Yeah. And if anyone here is a viewer of Chubby Emu on YouTube, which I think everybody should be because it's very interesting, he always talks about emia, presence in the blood. So hyper above, bilirubinemia, 
Billy Rubin in the blood. And Billy Rubin, like you said, it's a metabolite of breaking down red blood cells basically. Which but, we're going to talk about. Yeah, but let's go back a little bit. Jaundice, the etymology, the origin. Jean means yellow yep. in French. Is that correct? Uh, yep. Okay. However you pronounce J-A-U-N-I-C-E. Jaunice? Yeah. I think that's all right. Yep. Uh, we probably don't have French listeners, but if we do, write in. Tell us how terrible <laughs> we are. Um, so ask that's, Marie. Ask Marie. We'll ask our friend Marie. She's French. So that's yellow in French, the origin of jaundice, but it's got another term which you probably read in, in your textbooks, maybe publications called icterus. Wasn't that a documentary about cycling? Uh there is a documentary about cycling. So do they uh, cyclists go yellow? Well, <laughs> it's not a it's, I don't think it's called Icterus. Uh, it's called Icarus. Oh. And my bad. Icarus was the god who flew too close to the sun. Was it? Yeah. Oh. And what happened to the god? Burnt his wings, fell to earth. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I think not Icterus, Icarus being the god, the Roman god. He gave humans fire. I think that's right. He tampered, he meddled with the humans too much. He really liked us. Oh, yeah. I think. Um, and in one of the stories, he flew too close to the sun, burnt his wings, fell into earth, and that was his punishment. Oh. So he wasn't – I thought the one that did the fire got punished by getting oh, eaten yeah. by the crow. No, you're right. Who's that? Oh, no, I don't know. A crow had to peck his liver out. Every day. For, every day for eternity. That would also give you jaundice. There you go. Yeah. Hey. Makes sense. It all comes back around. Well, it doesn't because it's not. <laughs> he's not called Icterus. Uh, Let's just say for today. Okay. Yes. Yeah, you're right. We can do whatever we want. People don't listen to us for accurate information. <laughs> so I- Icterus, not Icarus, Icterus being big, big the bird. Latin or uh, Greek term for what? Big big bird. Big yellow bird. Big, yeah. Yes, big yellow bird. Um and they used to think that if you had jaundice back in the day, that if you were to catch one of these birds with your eye, not physically oh, catch okay. them, but just find them, see them, that would cure your jaundice. Right. So if you were yellow and you were to come across a yellow bird and just mm. look at it, then it would go away? Yeah. Well, the bird would go away, but <laughs> your jaundice wouldn't. And so... It didn't actually work. But anyway, that's the etymology. That's the background. People probably don't care too much about that. Everyone likes etymology. Yeah, as much as they like embryology. (laughs) But the place that we need to begin, I think, is bilirubin. How do we produce bilirubin? Because it's this accumulation within the blood or body that causes the jaundice. It is toxic. If it accumulates and we don't get rid of it, it's toxic, particularly if it crosses the blood-brain barrier, which it can in its unconjugated form, uh, and be a neurotoxin. So we need to talk about what is bilirubin, how is it produced, okay. what's its metabolic process so that we can see where these things can go it? wrong okay. and cause the different types of jaundice. So where should we begin? Um well, so what you're, what you're basically saying is we've given the definition. Um, in terms of bilirubin, which is the cause of the yellowing, what is the kind of amount that is required to get to the level of yellowing? Well, normally you'll produce around about four milligrams per kilogram per day. Okay. So I'm 70 kilograms. 
So that's four milligrams times 70, um, which is a, a number that I can't easily calculate in my head. Um, 28? Yeah. So about, I produce around about 280 milligrams, milligrams per day. 24 hour period. Yes. Can you, can you calculate that per hour? Anyway. Um, nope. so, that, so that's your daily production. But if It'll I. It'll be around about 1.2, 1.3 milligrams per hour. But if you were, well, you'd expect to be getting rid of this. Maybe that's 12 to 30. Anyway, you shouldn't have asked me that. No. Yes, you need to get rid of that. You can't make that and keep Just it in keep the body. It in so it has to be excreted all the time. Yes, most of um, it. And the levels that I found is pretty normal that you would expect to find in a person's blood is approximately 0.5 milligrams per deciliter, which is per 100 mils of blood. Yeah. So that's what it should be when you take a person's blood. Yes. Okay. Now, if it goes too much... Again, I found anywhere between two and three milligrams per deciliter would probably be the reason that you would start to go yellow. Yes. That being skin, mucous membranes and your sclera. Yes. So jaundice is a clinical mm. disorder in which you – Clinical sign. Clinical sign. Uh, yeah. the, the yellow discoloration is what's getting you thinking and investigating. Yeah. And so we now have to figure out – um, what is the reason for high bilirubin? Yes. And in, First of all, where does it come from? How is it processed and how do you get rid of it? Mm. Somewhere, somewhere along the lines there's a problem. That's right. So let's have a look at it. So this pathway. First place to begin. The life of bilirubin. Like that, do you want to call it that? Yeah, the life of bilirubin. Okay, so once upon a time you have a red blood cell. I don't think you had one. Every second <laughs> you produce millions of blood cells amazing isn't it it is pretty good in your bone marrow these blood cells particularly let's say red blood cells yeah we're focused on red blood cells only today for this story even though anyway i'll get there in a sec blood cells now after around about 120 days of living their lavish lifestyle of delivering oxygen around the body very important job right they start to become misshapen. We know they've got that sort of concave donut shape to them and that's a great shape to be able to, one, squeeze through very small vessels and, two, to be able to carry as much oxygen as possible. We know that they are enucleated. They don't have a nucleus. They don't have organelles really. They're just packed full of hemoglobin. Which is the carrier of oxygen. That's right. So they've got no nucleus, no mitochondria, no endoplasmic reticulum. Yep. So... Usually, on average, at around about 120 days, this is like us hitting 90, 95 years of age. Our our, our body shape started to change. We have a hunch. It's harder to go from one place to the next. It's very difficult to perform any job. And that's the same with the red blood cells. Now, When they get this old. The problem is for red blood cells, they don't go to a retirement village. They actually go through squid games. (laughs) <laughs> so they have to go through. I, uh, I know the premise of it. I have to go through a series of events that weeds them out, and this happens either in the spleen, the liver, or the bone marrow, where they're made, even. Yeah, mm. and they go through what's called a reticular endothelial system. Mm-hmm. This is the game, the squid game, and they have to go through basically an obstacle course. Now, this weeds out those red blood cells that are misshapen <laughs> or old, right? Yeah, yeah. and. In the reticular endothelial cells, there's a bunch of macrophages, phagocytes. They eat things up. Big eaters. Big eaters. They're basically like, Just I don't like, know what they're called, but in Squid Games there's a bunch of people who have masks on that hold the guns. Okay. They're the ones that 
They're shoot the people that fail. They're the macrophages. They're the macrophages. Right. And so when they uh, destroy the red blood cells that don't fit very well moving through this obstacle course of the reticular endothelial system, they begin to break them down. All right. Now what's in hemoglobin? What could be broken down from hemoglobin? Um, break the word up for me, Matt. Heme. Mm-hmm. Globin. Oh, good, good, good. Globin is protein. Yeah, it's amino acids. So um, it's going to just – are you asking me what will happen to it? Yeah. Okay. Um, so the globin will just be recycled. So I, I guess the macrophages will chop it up into its individual amino acids. Yep. And then it will get shot off into an amino acid pool. Yeah. Wherever that is. I think For I me, th- in my biceps. I think the macrophages can use these in themselves, these proteins and amino acids for their own bodily uses. Yeah. Not that they have bodies but – you know what I mean? Yeah. Or you like to anthropomorphize everything that mm, we talk about, or spit it out into the blood, maybe. Yeah. Can I just add one question to this? Go for it. It was my understanding that the macrophages didn't, didn't so much kill them, but clean them up. Yeah, that's what I said, isn't it? Uh, I well, I just you, I in the analogy. Yeah. Well, them. they the macrophages aren't holding guns. You don't have to be too literalistic here, but they help break it all down. So. Yeah, so basically when they're getting squeezed through the maze or whatever you, you analogy you used. Yeah, sorry, um, it wasn't good enough for they you. They rip the red blood cell in, A new into, one. into pieces. <laughs> yeah. So, so their guts go everywhere. Yes, and that okay. includes the globin and yeah. then the heme. And the heme is made up of some further parts. Yeah, the heme is, the way I think about it, it has a jewel right in the centre of it. And this okay. jewel is iron. I-R-O-N. That's pretty worthless jewel. Well, I mean, for the uh, hemoglobin, it's important okay, because right. without the iron. Oxygen, I guess. Well, iron ion is what it is. I-R-O-N, I-O-N. So it's a charged form of iron, okay. which is Fe2+. Plus, yep. And that helps carry the oxygen. Yeah. And so this iron gets pulled off the heme yep. and just gets recycled in the body. Yeah. Is there anything you want to add to the structure of the heme? Uh, no. No? Okay. Do so you want to add anything? No, no, I don't really know. I, I know it's just like a something ring. Yeah, I just don't think it's worth talking okay, about. Okay, awesome. All right. So now we've got heme by itself. So, so the iron gets shot off to get recycled. Yeah. That was your take-home point. Yep. Okay, all right. Now you just left with the heme. Yep. Okay. And so heme, we're still in the spleen here. And again, it can potentially happen in the liver or the bone marrow. The heme turns into something called biliverdin through an enzyme called heme oxygenase. So it just adds an oxygen to it? Dunno. Okay. What do you think? I never forget. I never remember these enzymes. Reductase, I always, for some reason, think it adds a hydrogen. Maybe. Anyway, like, and Look, who cares? Who, who cares? So it goes from the heme to the bilirubin. Glad bili- you brought bili- it up. Biliverdin. Yes. Okay. Biliverdin. Now, biliverdin, uh, if you, which you probably would love to be a reptile or an amphibian. I'm actually um, with Queen, I've seen, Queen, oh, of, Queen of England. Yeah, and I've, yes, <laughs> that's true. I have seen your cloaca. Now, <laughs> so, so if you were a bird, a reptile or an amphibian, mm-hmm. we would, this whole process, this podcast would be done at oh, 13 minutes. Here. Finishes right. here. Finishes here. With Billy, Billy Verdon is what we can excrete if we were a bird, amphibian or reptile. But- we're human beings and – Well, at least one of us are. Well, yeah, not with your cloaca, you're not. <laughs> As human beings, we have offspring that gestates within our uterus. Is the plural of uterus uteri? doesn't matter. No, I don't think so. 
Billy Verding can't cross the blood placental barrier, which means that the so, developing so, embryo or baby will after, they'll be in there for longer than 120 days. So they're going to have red blood cells that need to be recycled through this process. And so yeah, and their red their red cell production changes mm. from I think um, the yolk sac to the liver to then the bone. Okay, like us. All right. Not that you really care. No, I don't care about most things that you say. Billy Vernon can't cross the blood placental barrier. Okay. So that means it when can't get rid of it makes it can't get rid of it, okay. and it will be toxic. So we've evolved more steps in this process, a number of more steps. So this Billy Vernon needs to be turned into Billy Rubin. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, what's the enzyme that does this? Reductase one. Yeah, Billy Vernon reductase. Now, is Billy Rubin yellow? Yeah, so Billy Rubin's a yellow pigment color and Billy Verdon is a greeny color. And there's some mutations in the Billy Verdon reductase, so the enzyme that turns Billy Verdon to Billy Rubin, yeah. and it can result in an accumulation of Billy Verdon, and that's called green jaundice, oh. which is strange because jaundice itself means yellow, yeah. but it's called green jaundice. So, not super common. Just to add to this, yeah. Um, what happens in the changing colors, coloration of bruises? Oh. Day one. Yeah. Color. Or day one, to day two. I, I punch Michael in the arm. No, no, let's flip it. I punch you oh. right in the face. No, no, it's, it's too difficult there. Just do something that's more fleshy. Okay, well, <laughs> I could pick any part of your body, I suppose. Um, all right, I punch you in the arm. Yep. Uh because I'm so powerful, it's a really hard hit. I basically – look, if, if this is real life, your arm would fall off. So okay. I, I – Is this still the Squid Games? I hold back <laughs> about 70%. I punch you with 30% of my power. And luckily your arm stays attached to your body, yep. but it causes the sh- largest hematoma you've ever seen. Which means internal bleeding. Yes. Okay. All right, good. And so- if I were to push even harder – that I internal think, bleeding we, would probably every, transmit throughout your entire body. I think everyone gets it. Okay. So you punch me and I get a hematoma or internal bleeding into my uh, muscles of my arm. Well, Yeah, I know you're going to say, <laughs> oh, you don't have any. Anyway, um, so initially there's hemorrhaging. So blood, whole blood just spills off into tissue. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. So uh, if you were to inspect my arm <laughs> uh, shortly after, it would probably just be red, like yeah. a red bruise. Yeah. I can make fair. another statement there, fair. but yeah, fair, 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 fair like okay. your skin. So continue on. That's why you can see it so well. <laughs> so continuing on, this redness of the bruise will slow, slightly dissipate. Yeah. Reason for it, um, in your or in my arm, there's going to be macrophages. All right. Same as the spleen. Okay. Uh, and they're going to go. Wow, there's a lot of uh, red blood cells here. Delicious. Um, we better clean them up like we do in the spleen or the oh, liver. So squid okay. games in your arm. So they will start to do what you just said, changing the hemoglobin, off goes the globin, off, off goes the uh, iron. Yeah. But also we need to oxidise this heme to mm-hmm. Billy Verdon. So the change in bruise colour is now green. So it goes from red to green. And then yes. as it gets later and later, then it's going to move to more Billy Rubin. So yellow. No, so yellow. what you're saying is when I punch you in the arm, it goes from red to green to yellow. And that's the reason for it, these enzymes. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. 
Which will be important a bit later. Maybe we should do this experiment. Well, <laughs> well the listeners don't want to be here for f- five days. <laughs> so um, just as a side point, because I know I'll forget to come back to it, but one of the causes of a build-up of Billy Rubin could be a huge hematoma. Yeah, like, like a punch that I've no, made. no, like significant, like a, say, you don't know how hard an, I punch, like an ectopic pregnancy that ruptures. Oh wow! And then it, you get a lot, a lot of bleeding internally. Oh, so internal. Yeah, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. And then um, this will slowly, this hematoma that stops bleeding will slowly be reabsorbed. But because you've got so much hemolysis breakdown mm. of red blood cells, you're going to get an increase. In that. But we can, can get to that. I just thought it was. And I assume that would be quite a transient cause of. Uh, Jaundice. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, so so now we've got bilirubin, which has been produced in the spleen or liver and bone marrow. Now it can leave the spleen. Now, as it leaves the spleen, this type of bilirubin is called unconjugated bilirubin. That's important to state, all right? I'll tell you what that means shortly. Now, this unconjugated bilirubin jumps into the bloodstream and bilirubin is actually uh, quite water-insoluble. Fatty. Yes, it doesn't like water. <coughs> Excuse me. So bilirubin needs to bind to something that does like water, something that can carry it or transport it throughout the bloodstream, and that's going to be the limo of the liver, albumin. And so bilirubin binds to albumin. Because albumin- Because it's made is, there? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Why else would it be well, I called it'd be, I thought it'd be more for the plasma. Anyway, well, look, it's, it's home base. So bilirubin binds to albumin to make it more water-soluble. This is still recognised as unconjugated bilirubin. Okay. So just because it's bound to albumin doesn't mean it's conjugated. Now, here's an interesting point. Bilirubin binds to the albumin simply so it can travel through the bloodstream because it wants to get to the liver. To to get conjugated. That's right. But we're not there yet. It's still travelling through the bloodstream. Important point here is that that bilirubin can be disassociated from the albumin through a number of different causes. So salicylates can do it. Like aspirin. Yep. Ferizamide can do it. Diuretic. Yep. Sulfonamides. Antibiotic. Yep. Radiographic dyes. Yep. Now this isn't usually an issue for adults, but can be an issue for infants. So like, Newborns and so forth. That's right. So if they're exposed to these in high quantities, it can disassociate the bilirubin from the albumin and now you've got bilirubin unconjugated because it hasn't reached the liver. It's not bound to albumin, which means it's fat-soluble. And the reason why this is bad is that because it's fat-soluble, it wants to cross into tissues Mm. such as the blood-brain barrier, which means when it's not bound to albumin, it will get into the brain. Yeah. And if you're a child, this isn't good. Yeah. And I think they've also got children have got like a, a less mature blood-brain barrier as well. So it's more likely to cross for babies as well. Exactly right. And so and you've got a developing brain and so it's very vulnerable to this toxic effect. Yes. And the brain damage that's caused by bilirubin accumulating in the brain is called connectorus. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, but let's just say somebody's not exposed to those things. Bilirubin bound to albumin gets transported to the liver. At the liver, that albumin disassociates off and gets recycled, gets reused elsewhere. And now we've just got the bilirubin sitting in the liver. That bilirubin, its main job in the liver is to become conjugated, 
Why? Why do we want to conjugate the bilirubin? We sort of alluded to it just- make it water-soluble. To make it water-soluble, to make it less likely to cross these tissue barriers. And you can get rid of it easier. Exactly. If it's water-soluble, you can pee it out, right? It also means it won't cross into tissues where it can have its toxic effects. Yep. So the liver, its job is to conjugate. Now, all this unconjugated, conjugated is important because different types of jaundice can present if you do a test with more higher levels of conjugated versus unconjugated or higher levels of un, uh, unconjugated versus conjugated yeah. or a mixed presentation. Yeah. And this can give you an indication as to- Where the, the cause is. The, yeah, the type of jaundice. So, so basically you've your patient's got a yellow discoloration. You have a look at their blood and you find that they've got high levels of bilirubin, but then you're not sure exactly what type of bilirubin, so you can do a further test to see if it's predominantly conjugated or unconjugated. Yeah. And by knowing that, you can figure out whether it's a problem before the liver usually or kind of within or after the liver. Bingo. Okay. Now the enzyme you that- can, You can pronounce this. Okay. The enzyme that conjugates bilirubin is called UDP glucuronosyl transferase. What's the UDP? Don't even ask me. Uracil diphosphate? Mate, uracil diphosphate. Okay. All right. Uh, no, I don't think it is. But okay. uh, oh, who knows? I, I tried. Don't, who cares? Uh, the reason why I didn't probably, say it was because I didn't care. Probably a hepatoscientist. Um, as in they will care. It's uridine 5-diphosphoglucuronosyl transferase. I'll say it again. Uridine 5-diphosphoglucuronosyl transferase. Let's just say- I think U- that's what I said. UD- it's not. You said uracil. Uh UDP glucuronosyl transferase is what we're going to say. Its job is to conjugate bilirubin. What yeah. that means is it adds glucuronic acid to bilirubin. What is that? It's, it's like an a sugar? acid. It's called glucuronic acid. Is it like a sugar? It's an acid. <laughs> it, and it adds this glucuronic acid to make it more water-soluble. Okay. The gene that encodes for UDP glucuronosyl transferase is called UGT. 1A1. Write that down, folks. UGT 1A1. Because when we start talking about jaundice and its causes, this there might be a, be a couple of uh, mutations present here to cause some hereditary forms. Okay. But now we've got conjugated bilirubin. What happens now, Matthew, James, Barton? Well, basically it's water-soluble. We're in the liver and we know the exit point for the liver. So two entry points for the liver, that's arterial blood and venous blood. Yeah. And then and the, a knife through the guts. And the exit point oh, yes. is uh, bile or the, yeah, what is that? The output? biliary. Biliary tract. Yeah. Um, so that's anything that the liver wants to get rid of that it's not overly happy with. Yeah. It will put it down this pipe. Oh. Multiple pipes. Okay. So the hepatocyte is the functional cell of the liver. So you got thousands, millions, I don't know how many. Let's say trillions. I don't think that many, but we'll just go with a lot. There's a lot of hepatocytes which will do right the, down, a lot. Um, detoxifying and what Mike just spoke about. Um, and it gets, you know, you need, to get the, you need to get the bilirubin. So where does that come from? Well, it's going to come from blood. So it's kind of arterial blood as well as venous blood and it's going to grab onto it. And then once it's dealt with the things it's, wanting to get rid of it, puts it into essentially into the bile or the biliary system. Now, what that means- Wait a sec. So basically, the conjugated bilirubin from the liver gets thrown into the gallbladder. I'm getting to that. 
It's You're not go- even there yet. No. Then what were you talking about? I'm just talking about the billary output. Oh, I don't know. What, what is the – I forget the correct term. What's the – so the, the lobules of the liver. Yeah. What's the the outflow? You've got the portal triad. Yeah, the portal triad. Yeah. And so the portal triad is going to have the hepatic artery coming in. It's going to have the portal vein yep. coming in. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to, like Matt said, the hepatocytes that are present in these um, lobules – will detoxify the stuff that's coming in. It will store certain uh, metabolic uh, substances like glucose as glycogen and fatty acids and so forth. Uh, But it will also produce stuff. So it produces lymph and it produces bile. And so then you start to produce this bile into canuliculi, I'm quite sure, and then they drain off into bile duct. Well, not quite yet. We go to the hepatic ducts, which is oh, yes. the, the accumulation of all that, all those out, outflow pipes. And so once it leaves the, the liver as a whole, you're going to have a right and left hepatic duct, okay, which then joins a outflow from the gallbladder, which are the cystic ducts. And once they all join together, that would become the common bile duct. And that would then flow down to uh, the duodenum, okay, and that then has the ability to spill off into the small intestine or the, or the um, duodenum. But if there is a, there's a sphincter around that pipe, if that's closed, then all that bile kind of goes all the way back up and starts to fill up the gallbladder, which stores it there for a later time, usually when you have a fatty meal. And that starts to concentrate it all. So essentially the bilirubin that's being conjugated is going to be stored in this system. To, to yeah. the point of then release. Yeah, the way I like to think about it is that it's conjugated in the liver Then there's a couple of tubes that go to the gallbladder and then there's one tube that goes to the intestines. And so at any point you could block the tubes from the liver to the gallbladder, you could block the gallbladder or you could block the tube that goes from the gallbladder to the intestines there's potential blockages that can happen there. But at the end of the day, the conjugated bilirubin goes from the liver to the gallbladder to the intestines. Yep. Yeah. So if you've got um, any kind of, yeah, as you said, if you've got any kind of blockage along that way, so whether it's intrahepatic, so there's a blockage in those hepatic ducts, there's going to be a problem. Or if you've got a blockage in the common bile duct, there's going to be a problem. Yep. Now once the... Conjugated bilirubin, remember it's got glucuronic acid attached to it. That's what makes it conjugated and water-soluble. Once it gets to the large intestines, what do we have a lot of in the large intestines? Uh, Bacteria. Yes, and poo. But (laughs) bacteria that's there is going to start gobbling up the conjugated bilirubin and it produces something. What is that? Um, You mean what is it – how does it change from the conjugated bilirubin to something else? Yep. By the bacteria? Yep. Um, urobilinogen. Yep. Urobilinogen. Urobilinogen. Okay. Is produced. So what is? How is this different to the conjugated? It's just altered. Okay. Don't ask me the specifics. Uh, if it was important, I would bring it up. <laughs> and so the urobilinogen can stay in the bowel, stay in the large intestines, turn into stercobilin, which is then excreted as poo, and it's the stercobilin that makes your poo brown. Because of the red blood cells. So the bilirubin is colouring your poop in the form of stercobilin. 
But that's important because if you do have some issues along this way that your poo colour might change. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And so 85% of your bilirubin comes out in your poo in the form of stercobilin. Oh, right. right. But that's not how all the urobilinogen is excreted. That urobilinogen in the bowel can jump back into the bloodstream, right? Because it's water-soluble. Yep. And it jumps into the bloodstream and it can travel to the kidneys where the kidneys can turn it into urobilin and that can come out in your wee and that's what makes your wee yellow. That's around about 5% of your bilirubin comes out via your kidneys. But another 5%, around about-ish or 10%-ish, will go back to the liver yeah, via so the portal system. So obviously if this urobilinogen is absorbed from anywhere in your bowel, it has to get taken to the liver by the portal system, mm. which is kind of what we spoke about. That's the liver receives venous blood, which is the majority of um, – forget the top of my head. What is it, like 70%? Venous of blood. the blood that comes in the is liver. venous. Yeah, yeah, around about that. Opposed to arterial blood. Um, so this allows for another cycle, but then some of it will get spilled off somehow back into the systemic blood and that can then get taken to your kidneys. Um, and so your kidneys, so that's about 5% of it, so your kidneys then will do another form of oxidation which then makes it into urobilin mm. and that will colour the urine. Yeah. And that gives it – the straw colour, the yellowy straw colour to your urine. Fair? Yeah. So the three destinations for bilirubin or it is, well, simply comes out in your poo, a stercobilin, comes out in your urine, as urobilin, or it can be reabsorbed back, taken back to your liver via the enterohepatic circulation. Okay. Uh, and then it just goes back through, round and round and round and round and round again. So it goes to your liver, to your bile, to your bowel, to the bloodstream and then back to the enterohepatic circulation keeps moving around and around and around, hence being called a circulation. So this is the metabolism of bilirubin yep. so from is, red blood cells. So from red blood cells to the toilet in any case, pretty much. Yeah. So if there is a problem along this way, it's going to build up mm-hmm. and then discolour, which is the crux of what jaundice is. So we need to figure out if um, for students listening who are going to become health professionals, if they have their a patient that is yellow and they know that it's caused by increased bilirubin, where is the problem? Yes, that's right. And we listed, I think a, a, a nice overview is that if we just list the structures of the body that's involved, we've got red blood cells, we've got spleen, We've got systemic circulation, we've got the liver, we've got the gallbladder and its various biliary system or tubes, we've got the bowel and we've got the bloodstream again that goes to the kidneys. So there's a number of different areas in which things can happen, things can go wrong. And don't forget that it's not just red blood cells, it's where the red blood cells are produced too, which is bone marrow. Yes. So there's a whole bunch of different organ systems that can be involved as the causative agent for jaundice. So how can we simplify this? How can we make it easier? So for the student that wants to somehow categorize it, make it simpler so they can remember it for clinical practice down the track. Yeah, there's different ways to do it. Um, I think for a podcast, the best way is to talk about some of the hereditary forms first because there's five hereditary forms. So this is where mutations 
are the causative issue. And then you can talk about prehepatic, so everything that's going wrong before the liver. Intrahepatic, also known as hepatocellular, everything that's going wrong in the liver itself. And then posthepatic, everything going wrong after the liver. What do you reckon? Yep, and that one's also sometimes called cholestatic. Yes. Okay. Uh, another, I, another way of categorization, which we, we're not going to talk about, but just so the, st- the student listening will know because they may hear it in this form, is in uh, indirect versus direct. Indirect is basically unconjugated and direct is conjugated um, hyperbilirubinemia. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk about the five hereditary forms. These are mutations that are happening to important enzymes or genes. Should we do this here or should we do it where it happens? I think let's just do it first and get it out the road. All right. Right. So this is happening in the liver. So you've actually got five hereditary forms. So the first three are all mutations that happen to the gene UGT1A1. Which is the one you told everyone to write down. That's right. It trans. This is a gene that can be translated into the enzyme UDP glucuronosyl transferase. It's what conjugates bilirubin with glucuronic acid. It's what makes it water-soluble. So that means if there's a mutation here and it stops working, you end up not being able to conjugate bilirubin. So you end up accumulating unconjugated bilirubin and not producing conjugated. So these three hereditary forms, two are called Krigler-Najjar syndrome and one is called Gilbert syndrome. But all three of these mutations result in an accumulation of unconjugated bilirubin, right? Now, there's another one called Dubin-Johnson syndrome, and this is a mutation in a gene that translates into a protein or a subset of proteins that exports the conjugated bilirubin out of the liver. Canicula, yeah. Into the biliary system. Yeah. So if this mutation is present, then the unconjugated bilirubin accumulates in the liver. Sorry, the conjugated mm-hmm. bilirubin, right, accumulates in the liver because there's nothing wrong with the UDP glucuronosyl transferase. It's, so it's conjugating. Con- it's conjugating it, but it's just not exporting. Can't get it out of the cell. Yes. So it accumulates in the liver and will spill over into the bloodstream. Yep. And so then you have, for this Dubin Johnson syndrome, an accumulation of conjugated bilirubin. And then the final hereditary form is called Rota syndrome. When we spoke about the enterohepatic circulation, basically the reabsorption of the bilirubin or one of the bilirubin metabolites, uh, such as urobilinogen, back into the liver, it does this through a transporter and mutations of this transporter result in rotor syndrome. And so you can get an accumulation of both unconjugated and conjugated in this form. So these are the five hereditary forms. Two, Krugler-Najjar, one, Gilbert, one, Dubin-Johnston, and the other, Rota. Now, it's probably worth saying here that the most likely or probably one of the most common ways that people have witnessed jaundice is in newborns Okay, um, called unconjugated bilirubinemia of the newborn. It's giving you a bit of a hint as to what's happening. It's unconjugated bilirubin. So what do you think is happening? It's in a newborn. And it's in a newborn. (laughs) Usually about two to five days after birth, you can see the yellowing discoloration of the skin, sclera, mucous membranes and so forth. This is happening, do you know why? I think there could be two causes of this. Yep. Um, One could be, which is probably less common now, but but please correct me, 
is where there's a, an incompatibility between the um, the fetus. Well, now it's going to be the baby, but I think it probably happens fetally. Um, blood and the mother. So it would have to be at least the second child for the mother. And so the baby would have to have a Reese positive blood type and the mother's got antibodies against it. So that's mm. spilled across and then her antibodies are attacking the fetal red blood cells. So that would lead to hemolysis within the fetus, which would then lead to, it's not so much a problem in the liver, but it would still lead to potentially jaundice from a pre-hepatic cause. Yep. Whereas the other one... So that's the least common cause. Yep. The other one, which I think is called breastfeeding jaundice, is there are enzymes, I think, in the breast milk which interact with the baby's, newborn's, um, enzyme that does the conjugation. Yeah, the UDP glucuronosine transferase. Maybe not inhibits it but just slows it down. Yep. And because the baby already has a very immature liver, uh, it causes a buildup of unconjugated bilirubin. That's the second cause. And then there's the third cause. Yeah, the third cause is simply um, it doesn't even have to be due to the breastfeeding. It can simply just be that the child has a – slow to mature liver and the uh, gene UGT1A1, its expression levels are quite low early on. So two to five days is quite low. And again, that means they start to accumulate unconjugated bilirubin. And this is why it's called unconjugated hyperbilirubinemia of the newborn. So it starts building up, the baby goes yellow. Yep. Everyone freaks out, or at least the parents. Yep. Um, What can we do? And we know that this is going to become toxic, so we yeah. don't want to cause a problem to the baby's brain, developing brain. So what we can do? Blue light therapy. How so, does that work? So well, phototherapy? Yeah, phototherapy. I think the blue light spectrum is 390 to 470 nanometers, so they expose them to this light. And basically it uh, creates a, f- a water-soluble photoisomer of bilirubin, um, which then – is less likely to cross the blood-brain barrier, more likely to be peed out. Yeah, I and think so it, that's basically yeah, how it works. I think it basically just puts it into a conjugated form, and then it that can then get excreted, like you said, or at least a water-soluble form. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So now we can start looking in more detail at the prehepatic, intrahepatic, and posthepatic causes. So let's first start with prehepatic. So things that can go wrong before the liver. So we're we going to call this. We're going to call it um, a problem with the production. Yep or destruction or transport to the point of the liver? You probably say a problem with the production of red blood cells, a problem with the destruction of red blood cells, and a problem with the transport of bilirubin to the liver. Yeah, good point. Yeah. All right, so where do you want to begin? Well, let's start at the beginning, the production of red blood cells. Okay. What's that process called? Um, Urethropoiesis. Urethra? Urethra, Franklin. (laughs) (laughs) Poesis. So So red blood cell, it's all right, red bone marrow partakes in this. It's a very active process. As you said, maybe one to two million red blood cells are made per second. Mm. That's crazy when you think about it. It's nuts. Um, Per second. Yeah. Yeah. So whilst it's doing this, so it kind of goes from a um, stem cell-like cell and it needs to go through these subsequent steps 
that uh, have a degree of maturity to it before it spits it off into the blood. Mm. I think it spits it off pretty much as a reticulocyte, yeah. which still has to do a bit of maturing, but pretty much I think it's but it safe. It matures in the system, in the bloodstream, It's safe right? to say that in in a reticular form, then it's, uh, it's, it's well on the way for maturity. But in the early phases where it's going from a stem cell to that reticulocyte, it needs to build it in a certain way with all those building blocks. So yeah. it needs a lot of stuff to... It needs amino acids and iron and folic acid. Yeah, so the stuff for g- the genetic component, so for the DNA synthesis and all that. Yep. So if you are deficient in some of those, like folate and B12, yeah. it's, they, stay, they kind of stay big. Really? Um, big cells. So mega, mega, mega blasts, which are big... I mean, sometimes we call it mega blast or mega site uh, anemias. Oh, yeah. Okay, so they're just too big. And I think at any one time when you're doing urethropoiesis, you probably lose 15% of the cells that you produce in your bone marrow all the time anyway. Because they get targeted for destruction. No, no, it's just, a, it's just poorly produced. Because it's the cells are so mitotically active, they probably put some errors in it, and the, oh. and the cells aren't well developed, and they just kind of get knocked off and then remade in the bone marrow. Oh, okay, okay. But if this process becomes more problematic, so you have these deficiencies, like you said, folate, um, iron deficiencies, um, B twelve deficiencies, then the cells have a higher prevalence to become dysfunctional, and then they get destroyed whilst they're still in the bone marrow. Uh, so how's jaundice fit in? Well, you're just spilling this all out into the blood. So you've just got excess amounts of I oh, So you're dead, saying that in certain cells. types of anemia yeah. where the – Not so much anemia. Well, it may lead to anemias, which is just low levels of um, oxygen-carrying ca- capability or hemoglobin concentration. Due to destruction though. Yeah. So you, well, you can have anemia due to excessive destruction of good. red blood cells. But what about the excessive production – of the red blood cells. You mean to, not enough? No, excessive production of red blood cells. Because uh, that would be the main cause of the anemias. Is you've got too, So you can have, not the anemia, sorry, jaundice. So in prehepatic you can have too much red blood cells being produced. You can have too many red blood cells being broken down. Yeah, I, I, I don't know a cause that is due to too much being produced. I know they're, they're produced but then they become ineffective and then they get killed and then they, they spill off opposed to just being killed off at some point because they are within the system somewhere being, um, yeah, destructed. Mm. So anything that will increase hematopoiesis, uh, so polycythemia, increased red blood cell production, means that you've got more red blood cells in the system, you're going to have more red blood cells being destroyed. Yeah. And that can lead to basically the whole metabolic process clogging up, resulting in, hyperbilirubinemia. Okay. Uh, you can have excessive destruction like in the anemias like Matt was saying um, and that's hemolysis but you can have the hematomas like you were saying as well. That's also excessive destruction but mainly because you've, you've bled out into a particular compartment of the body and you also mentioned the ABO blood incompatibility that can happen yeah. with a mother and a child with the rhesus factor issue. Which, is, which they call alloimmune opposed to autoimmune. There's, there's some autoimmune diseases mm. that causes... Um, hemolysis like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. Um, interestingly, going back a step, 
one of the reasons in your red blood cells you spoke about we have no they they have no mitochondria that means they produce all their ATP in their cytoplasm yeah uh, and mostly the reason for this is to make the membrane pliable is that the right word yeah I'd say flexible uh, pliable. flexible yep um, but it can also malleable it can also bendable. help with um, preventing I guess the oxidation of the proteins within the red blood cell. And so if you have any circumstance that can lead to too much free radicals, oxidization of the proteins in the red blood cells, this could lead to their destruction. And there's one common condition, which is the glucose 6-phosphate deficiency. Mm. And so this would be a genetic basis, but then if the individual is put in a situation where they have more free radicals, and I think there's certain foods like fava beans, for instance. We did this as a case study when I was a tutor in med, med school where they had, um, I think it's more prevalent in parts of Africa. They have this deficiency. And then if you're eating foods that are causing free radical production in proteins, they have a high it's amount of red blood cell destruction. Wow. And that could lead to then um, anemia as well as jaundice. Interesting. Another another one is sickle cell anemia because it's yes. a, it's a poorly shaped red blood cell. So again, it, it can accumulate and cause the destruction. Again, that one's found in Africa. Uh, West Africa, and that seems to correlate strongly to malaria as a protection, which is interesting. Um, we can we can move past that. And the other form of inherited destructive disorders is spherocytosis. So this yep. is where the red blood cells are small and round. They're not for, very forgiving. So they, when they're getting smashed around in the the, the uh, blood vessels, they get killed off opposed to the bounce <laughs> the, the bouncy donuts that they should be right gotcha 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 <laughs> Does that makes sense yeah uh, a couple other other causes of high destruction would be some parasites cause red blood cell destruction particularly oh, yeah. malaria again that they because they kind of invade or that so you can have malaria induced jaundice I believe so um, because the life cycle of the what's it called um, What's the microorganism? What's the the term? It's like a unicellular microorganism. I always forget it. Uh, oh, uh, that that causes malaria. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't don't ask me. It's a parasite. Yeah, parasite. Just forget the name of it. Doesn't yeah. matter. Anyway, so part of its life cycle is to go into the red blood cell, and I th- I guess um, when it leaves, it busts the red blood cells up. Yeah, and so that would then cause um, excessive amount of bilirubin. Plasmodium. Plasmodium. Yeah. Uh, a few other ones, you can get um, deficiencies with your um, blood vessels, which are called microangiopathy, uh, and they kind of have um, the way that the, possibly the connective tissue forms in the, bl- in the blood cell, in the blood vessel layer, is it sticks off into the lumen, and as the red blood cells fly past, they kind of get caught in it or... It has an effect to the way that they flow and that can cause a damage to the red blood cells and again causing an increase in destruction of the red blood cells. Uh, almost there. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, we spoke about the immune causes, SLE, rheumatoid arthritis, some common ones, and then the alloimmune, which is a which you, you would expect wouldn't happen very often anymore, but an incompatibility with blood mm. tr- transfusion. How's so, that all that? Yeah, that- look, I think the to, to summarise the prehepatic causes, um, 
It's but that's more, that's more hemolytic ones. Yeah, so prehepatic, anything that increases the production of the red blood cells is going to result in increased destruction. Anything that results in increased breakdown yeah. or hemolysis. Which is a big one, I think. Which is the most common. It's yeah, usually a category in itself. Yeah. Um, and uh, anything that – so basically those two are the, are the yeah, major – the big ones. Causes a prehepatic jaundice. And again, take-home message as well in addition to that, is it results in an accumulation of unconjugated bilirubin because yep. all of this is happening prior to the liver. And so it's backing up, backing up, backing up at the liver because it can't conjugate it fast enough. So you've got this excessive unconjugated bilirubin floating around the bloodstream and yep. that can be tested for. And just to add to completion, I know we spoke about it, but just to add to completion. So on its transport um, in, in the blood now to the liver, remember it's getting car- carried on albumin, you can get issues with certain drugs. So we spoke about the drugs. We don't have to go back through it again. But certain drugs can rip the bilirubin off the albumin and then that will then cause a problem with its transport. And then finally, there is one molecule that seems to grab the albumin bilirubin complex and suck it into the hepatocyte. That can also be inhibited by a drug um, called rifampicin. Yep. And that apparently also causes your body fluids to go pinky orange. Oh, there you go. There well, we I've, go. I've never had rifampicin before. So that's pre. So happy think, with that? Yeah, I'm happy with that. Final point about pre is that when testing for jaundice, you don't just look at the bilirubin conjugated versus unconjugated versus total, for example. You also would look at liver function tests. And because this is all happening pre-hepatic, the liver function tests will probably be normal, right? So that's an important point. You'll have increase in unconjugated and relatively normal liver function tests. So let's make a promise to the listeners, okay? We're going to do a podcast. I never promise anything to anyone. We're going to do a, a podcast all on liver function tests. Woo-hoo. But we thought we wouldn't do it today because it would probably cloud it all up. I think so. Okay. So, so just we're going to get to that. Keep like, it at that. We always do these, make these promises and they are always fulfilled like um, our pharmacodynamics video. Yeah. Or podcast, yeah, should I say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah you still yeah. haven't done. We will do it. We'll do it. Um, all right, let's talk about intrahepatic causes, also known as hepatocellular. I think. Can just, I just make a, a no, quick let me, caveat here? No, me. Me first. All right. First thing for intrahepatic, for hepatocellular, is that anything that damages the liver can be a cause of intrahepatic jaundice. And so I know that Matt just spoke exhaustively about this list of things that cause prehepatic, intrahepatic is going to be far bigger because oh, it's yeah. anything that can damage the liver. Sorry, yeah. go. But, but what, also, what were you going to say? But also easier in a way. I'm, I'm sorry for talking while you were interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to say in intrahepatic, even though you said that this is going wrong with the hepatocyte per se, it's also important to say that uh, it can be demarcated right in the middle in the sense that in some half of the hepatocyte not working, it's going to lead to unconjugated bilirubemia, whereas the other half of the hepatocyte is going to lead to conjugated. So it's mm. it's important to know that there will be a discrepancy mixed. there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and could potentially have a mixed accumulation of unconjugated to conjugated. Yeah. Um, look, just I think without dwelling on it, I'm just going to list a bunch of stuff and you can add to that. No, I think it's pretty straightforward. So, you know, it's just, the liver's gone 
bug hey, it up. Haywire. Yeah, so like viral hepatitis, fatty liver disease, alcoholic, non-alcoholic causes, tumours, drugs, autoimmune. Honestly, just think about anything that could damage the liver is going to damage its ability to conjugate. Well, damage its ability to uptake unconjugated bilirubin, yeah. conjugate bilirubin, yeah. and excrete bilirubin. So it, it can damage those things. Like Matt said, depending on where or how, it can lead to an accumulation of unconjugated versus conjugated yeah. and vice versa. So, all right, so that's intrahepatic. What would you like to – oh, the other thing here is that if you were to test for this, the liver enzymes would be up because the yeah, liver's damaged. Which we're going to talk about in the next one. Yeah. But that's a good point. But I think that's a good point yeah, is that if point. you see elevated liver enzymes and elevations of bilirubin, you probably have a good indication, oh, it's happening in the liver itself. Yeah. Anything one, one you want to add? Oh, just one interesting point. When when you – so you spoke about hepatitis. Um, like you said, you've got the A to E. We're not going to go through that. Um, alcohol, as you'd probably imagine, is a huge one and that's leading into the cirrhosis, um, injury into cirrhosis. But uh, when I quickly went across into drug-induced and I messaged you this this morning and you didn't reply, which I was disappointed with. But anyway. Um, I don't remember like getting the message. Like 20%. I block you. Um, <laughs> about 20% of drug-induced hepatitis, no, hepatic injury is due to... Mushrooms. Uh, no, uh, herbal remedies oh, and also no. I read um, sports supplements. Yes, that's why I ignored it. <laughs> <laughs> what the sports? Because you yeah. take a sport. Because you supplement. said anabolic steroids and I'm just thinking, well, is, is that a having a go at you? me? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting that... Um, I don't take anabolic steroids, by the no, way, no, just to the, anybody who's listening. No, not, what, I was gonna, what I was meaning... I don't need to. ...is that there is sometimes... This is probably going to turn into a rant a little bit. More, Here we go. More from Mike than me. No. But there is this um, belief that, you know, uh, taking natural things like herbs is very safe. Yeah. But in fact, um, herbs are just like any other potential drug, uh, molecule or drug that your liver has to deal with it. And yeah. if you overload it with a whole lot of stuff that even it, though it comes from nature, uh, it can cause significant damage. Mm. and injury to the liver, which is sometimes irreversible. Talk to any hepatologist, so that's a liver expert, and they'll tell you how much they hate herbal teas. Okay. Right? Because it's just it's extra burden on the liver. Yeah. People think it's just a herbal tea. But, so you did get me going. But, but they're chemicals and molecules and they still have to be detoxified yeah. and altered the yeah. same way as a medication would. You look at yeah. like a, a drug like aspirin, it has a single active molecule, salicylic acid, single activity. You look at something like, I don't know, ginkgo biloba. This is not a single thing. This is a multitude of things with potentially multiple drugs that can interact with one another and can interact with medications that people are already taking. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, it's natural, so it's better. Or safe. False. Or direct. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Anyway, post-hepatic. Um, oh, okay. Well, did you have more for intrahepatic? No, I was just going to mention in the drugs, um, the, the, the leading cause is paracetamol. Oh, for intrahepatic yeah. damage, yeah. yeah. Yeah, don't – paracetamol has a very safe yet narrow range well, yeah, you, of activity. Yeah, if you go into the like gram level of ingestion, then it becomes hepatotoxic. Yes. Yeah. Um, just take the recommended dose. 
right? Yep. Um, so post-hepatic. So this is happening after the liver and the way I think about it again are the tubes going from the liver to the gallbladder, the gallbladder itself, and then the tube from the gallbladder yeah, into the bowel. Because I'm more of an anatomist than a physiologist. I know. So I you're going to confuse people. I just need to say yes. that the liver does not, it cannot drop bile directly into the gallbladder. Okay? It can't. No. It has to go all the way down and then go all the way back up. To all the way it. down where? All the way down to the... Um, What's the correct term? I don't want to say the ampulla or veda anymore. The main pancreatic duct? Mm. No, yeah. It's, yeah, it's the pancreatic duodenal ampulla. Uh, well, that's, that's ampule. fine. Ampulla yeah. is fine. It just means a widening. Yeah. But when that sphincter's closed, they used to call it sphincter oddy. I'm not going to say it, but that's what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> when that's closed, that's basically meaning you're not eating a fatty meal. Yeah. It's closed. Yeah. All the bile so yours go, must always be open. All the bile goes back up. Because remember, the, the gallbladder hangs below the liver, so it can't really go directly into it because it's got its own two pipes that it's gotten rid of. Does that make sense? In a way. Anyway. Um, yeah, no, people are loving it. Go on. Look, it's very important anatomy. So, so any, the, the take-home point, any kind of blockage along this way is going to cause problems to the excretion of this conjugated Bilirubin. Yeah, because it's going to alter the excretion of bile and the conjugated bilirubin is in the bile. And so stopping the excretion of bile is called cholestasis. Stasis means to stop and choly is referring to the gallbladder and the substances within the gallbladder. Mm-hmm. So anything that can for, cause cholestasis, so strictures. So, so traffic, traffic jam. Yeah. So, uh, so you could have strictures, so narrowing. You can have stones, so a blockage. You can have tumours, which could impede the tubes. You can have a whole bunch of stuff. But they're, they're probably the main ones. Anything throughout the whole biliary system, yeah. inflammation. And so if this is happening, so let's think about this, right? Let's think about it. This is conjugated bilirubin. It, there is some sort of blockage in this biliary system. The biliary system sends conjugated bilirubin into the bowel for most to be pooped out. If there's a blockage here, the conjugated bilirubin doesn't go to the bowel. It doesn't get pooped out. Your poo isn't brown. What colour would it be? Not brown. No, it would be white. Really white? Yeah, or, or pale. Just pale. Pale, but it can be. Have you ever seen like a, a, a dried, hard, white dog turd? <laughs> so it's nothing like that. I was going to where you're going with that. So, but it, pale, right? So think about that because there's the blockage. But what happens is it accumulates in this biliary system and also the liver because the liver is what squirts this yeah. bile down. Yeah. And then the conjugated bilirubin bleeds out, probably the wrong term to use. Yeah, I think but, it is. But uh, disperses out from the liver into the bloodstream I think and the body. I think it's lymph. And then it goes Via lymph? Yeah, via okay. lymph. Regardless, you have this conjugated so would that be bilirubin. Also, the conjugated bilirubin being dispersed throughout the body. Would that also, that phenomenon of um, being spilt out, would that also happen with uh, intrahepatic causes as well? I think less so because most intrahepatic causes will stop the conjugation oh, yeah. and you mainly have unconjugated. What, what, what about with the transporters though? If you're not yeah, potentially. getting rid of it, would it just build up and then spill out into the lymph? And yes, then yes, 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 okay. yes, yes. So in post-hepatic, you've got an accumulation predominantly of conjugated bilirubin. Um, you've got potentially elevated liver enzymes because it's all backing up into the liver 
possibly damaging it. And that would cause a different type of injury maybe? The enzymes would be slightly different? Yes. So some of the liver enzymes, and we'll talk about this when we do the liver enzyme episode, some of the liver enzymes are are more specific to the biliary system Mm. and actually are expressed or released from cells within the biliary system. And so if there's a blockage, you have, and one of these is called ALP, but don't. We'll talk about that later. Australian Labor Party. If that's <laughs> that's right. So yeah, <laughs> it's bad for your liver. I think we've. I think we can sort of tell that by looking at a bunch of them. So, elevated, very specific liver enzymes elevated, right? Um, and then the other point here is, your urine is a very dark color in this post-hepatic cause. Oh, yeah. Okay. And the reason why is because the urine gets its bilirubin metabolite from the bloodstream. And because you've from, got all this- is from the bowel. Yes. And so you, because the bowel isn't getting anything because of the blockages, it's backing up into the liver. The liver spills out all this conjugated bilirubin into the bloodstream, which then the kidneys will end up having to filter- and it ends up filtering a whole bunch of conjugated bilirubin. Yeah, and it's also important to just to note quickly here that um, because the initial bilirubin that was unconjugated that was first released from, let's just say, the spleen, it has a very tight relationship with albumin. That means it can't break off when it goes through the kidney. Oh, good so point. So that will never leave in its conjugated form. Yeah, good point. Albumin Whereas, doesn't like to be filtered through the kidneys. So if it's bound to bilirubin, neither will yeah. bilirubin. So that means um, you you should only see the unconjugated form in your pee. Yes. But if you had a blockage here, which basically we're saying that we're not making any urobilinogen, that means you're not going to have any in your blood. That mm. means you're not going to have any in your pee. And mm. that's in, that's a urinalysis test. Yes. So when you do your dipstick test, which we did a podcast on, if you have negative urobilinogen but you have jaundice, that would be suggestive that it's something in this post-hepatic. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. Good point. Look, I think we've done it. But George, I think we've got it. You happy with that? I might just add one final point. Sure. sure. Um, Something embryological related <laughs> no, no, it's or not. animal well, related? No, or? no, no, it's not really. Okay. Um, there, there seems to be um, seconds. a phenomenon that in pregnancy that pregnant women are more likely to get jaundice Yeah. Um, that I quickly uh, had a look into. Um, but they come from multiple different causes. So um, the most common type of, type of jaundice in pregnancy is from stones, gallstones which I think you probably could answer this, but um, is it the uh, female hormones and the way that, that those hormones process cholesterol yeah. increases the stone production? Yes. Okay. Yep. Then there's almost 25% but 24% um, in the <laughs> preeclampsia type of, I think it's hemolysis. So oh. that will be a hemolysis cause of, or so, so we'd probably say a prehepatic cause of jaundice. And then we have... Thirteen uh, percent of intrahepatic um, cholestasis, which I think is more to do with just a slow squirting process. out. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I just thought that there it, it's it's more common for pregnant females to have it, and there's some of the reasons for why. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, everybody. There is bilirubin metabolism and jaundice. I hope you enjoy. Any final wrap up? Yeah, oh, suppose so. <laughs> You can always send us an email, gubiosciences at gmail.com. 
You can always follow us or at least me on social media, Dr. Mike Todorovic, D-R-M-I-K-E-T-O-D-O-R-O-V-I-C. That is the handle on Instagram and Twitter if you like watching my two-minute yeah, medical done, education videos. You've done really videos. well lately. Yeah, like, look, if you want to hear this off. stuff in two minutes. You're taking off. That's it. I'm going to be uh, to the moon soon. So follow me on Instagram and Twitter. We, You know we have a YouTube channel, Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike. Follow us. Subscribe to us. Like our videos. Don't dislike our videos. Don't give us hate mail like we, all the anti-vaxxers have given us. We, yeah, we got, we got really um, heavily um, slammed with our, our vaccine videos. We got smashed. In, in our comments. Yeah. It, and it always happened so – it was like a, a waterfall of comments. Yeah. It was yeah a, we had to turn it off. It was so bad. We had to get rid of – and then now uh, we are it's obviously kind of impinging bad. people's freedom of speech on YouTube to not call us pieces of crap. Which uh, have been a, a common comment. Well, well, both of us. Are the going. latest one yesterday was we are despicable. <laughs> At least you are. I didn't <laughs> think like I was. They were half right. <laughs> um, well, there's a comment that I that we received that I thought was um, interesting. We were we're going to go to the Nuremberg trials. That's right. Number two. Yes. Yeah. Two point um, They said. Yeah. So we're so just wait because we're um, going to be tried for whatever that was. Is. Yes, yes, we've been called murderers. We've been called a lot of things. Um, what was the term they used for um, in bed with the pharmaceutical companies? Shill. Shill. Yeah. I never knew that term before. I read the comments. There you go. <laughs> well, we're shills now, Matt, obviously. And I will make a statement that we made zero dollars from those videos. So <laughs> we, we didn't um, – there was no kickbacks from pharmaceutical companies or yeah. any other. We just did it because we believed in the science. And, and we took it ourselves – my um, my wife took them and she's breastfeeding. Uh, and the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I took them. Yeah. I had to convince Mike because um, he. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. We both got our jabs the same day. Yep. Just before we went and to Sydney. And surprisingly because Michael hang with Chris was a huge uh, hypochondriac. Um, Michael did not get any side effects. So I was. Weird. I was um, surprised yeah. pleasantly. Yeah. Um, maybe it was because we had to go to Sydney the next day. We were hanging with Chris Hemsworth. And then um, after we cool. finished the shooting with Chris Hemsworth, um, we left Sydney. He, we and call him Hemo now. <laughs> we, we left Sydney and um, there was a outbreak which lasted 110 days. Yes. And so of COVID. And interestingly, of COVID. Interestingly, it was caused, started by what, Michael? Uh, you coughing <laughs> on a old lady. No. Oh. A um, car. Albumen. Limo. Limo. There's Limo the, driver. There you go. Which I nicknamed Albumen. Albumen. His name was Al Buman. All right. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.